Not at death I shrink or falter, for my Savior saves me now, but to meet him empty-handed, thought of that now clouds my brow. Must I go and empty-handed? Must I meet my Savior so? Not one soul with which to greet him. Must I empty-handed go? Those are the words written by a man named Charles C. Luther, and he wrote those words after one Sunday morning, hearing a message sitting in the pew just like you. And the speaker that morning was telling a story of a young man who had been saved for one month. And that young man had just received the news that uh, he was sick and that there was nothing the doctors could do. And his friends came to him and they asked him, are you scared to die? You know, if we were to receive those news, perhaps the thought of our bucket list would come into mind. You know, there's just so much that I haven't checked off on my list. For me personally, uh, my first thought would be, well, send an invitation out to all my loved ones because I want to spend my last moments with them. Uh, but this man said, I'm not afraid because Jesus is going to save me now. But do I have to go empty-handed? That young man eventually passed away just a couple weeks later. And Charles C. Luther was moved by that young man that he wrote that verse. And yet he would look at the, the church and see uh, so many people wasting away the time that they had, and yet this young man was only granted one month. And he later on wrote the verse, the next verse to the hymn, Oh, the years of sinning wasted, could I but recall them now, I would gladly give them to my Savior, and to his will I'd gladly bow. Must I go and empty-handed, must I meet my Savior so? Not one soul with which to greet him, must I empty-handed go? For a moment this morning, I'd like for you to imagine that the Lord were to call you home. And as you stand before him, surrounded by all of his glory and majesty, you're reminded of the fact that it is because this man would leave the very glories of heaven behind to die in your place so that you could stand before him as his son or daughter. And as you're reminded of this, the, de the response of your heart is this overwhelming desire to give something, to give anything, to give everything possible to this man, to this person who gave everything for you. As you stand there, perhaps the words of the hymn come to mind, we're the whole realm of nature mine that we're an offering far too small. And yet, the desire of your heart is still so great. This man gave everything for me to redeem me. I have to give something. And as you look at your hands, hoping to lift something up, your hands are empty. And yet you look back at your life, you say, oh, the years of sinning wasted. Could I but recall them now? But it's too late. It's too late. If you're, if you're a, a child of God this morning, I can't think of a scarier thought to meet our Savior empty-handed. Um, please turn to Matthew 16. Matthew 16. <clears throat> As I got back from Galilee, I've been thinking about two words that the Lord Jesus said. Follow me. Follow me. How can I make the most of today? By following Christ. How can I prevent that thought of looking back and saying, oh, the years of sinning wasted. Must I go empty-handed? How can I prevent that by following Christ today? Here in Matthew 16, uh, this, the, we have 
um, an incident recorded in three out of the four Gospels. It is recorded by Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And Matthew records it in a way where you would think that the Lord Jesus is alone with his 12 disciples. But if we were to read this account in Mark and Luke, we'd actually see that the Lord Jesus is surrounded by multitudes and multitudes of people. And the stage is set. We see the Lord Jesus surrounded by multitudes and multitudes of people, and he's on his way to Jerusalem. He's on his way to Jerusalem, and it is there that he will lay down his life. Uh, I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where uh, you knew an event was, was coming up, uh, and it either made you excited or terrified. I always think of uh, whenever I'm asked to speak. Um, there is a, a great deal of, of being terrified, and uh, I've never been one to be um, very afraid to stand in front of people, uh, but I'm thankful. I'm always given at least four to six weeks to prepare. Um, but as soon as I'm asked, I always count how many Sundays I have until that day. And every Sunday morning, I'll come to church and say, okay, I have three more. You know, no reason to panic yet, but, you know, three Sundays, keep it in the back of your mind. The next Sunday, you have two Sundays, and you start to worry a little bit. And then the next Sunday, you see your name in the bulletin, and your heart just drops. <laughs> but we see here the Lord Jesus, he's not simply going to stand in front of people and talk for 45 minutes, but he's on his way to the cross. He is about to suffer the most painful death anyone will ever suffer. And you can imagine with every step the Lord Jesus takes as he's getting closer and closer to that cross, you can just feel the anxiety raising. And so we see the Lord Jesus here. He's on a, he's on a path. He's walking towards Jerusalem. He has thousands of people behind him. And he stops and he turns around and he says these words to them. In Matthew 16 and verse 24, Said so then Jesus said to his disciples, and once again all the multitudes of people, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he will reward each according to his works. Our dear Heavenly Father, we would just thank you for this time that you've given us to open your word, Father. And as we consider that fearful thought of meeting your Son empty-handed, Father, we would just consider this morning what it means to truly follow him. Father, we would acknowledge to you this morning that truly our hearts are at times hardened, Father, we would acknowledge to you this morning that our lives do need changing. But, Father, it is only your spirit that can bring that change about in our life. And so, Father, we would just commit this time to you and ask, Father, that truly your spirit would move amongst us, that you would speak directly to our hearts, mine included. Father, that we might walk out of here having become less like ourselves and so much more like your son. And so, Father, we ask for a blessing upon this time and commit it to you. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. So we see here that the Lord... He's walking towards Jerusalem. He stops with a cross in mind, and he says, if you really desire to follow me, you have to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. So this morning, I'd like to consider those three things. Uh, the first thing he says is to deny self, to deny yourself. And the, the word of God is very clear that at the point of salvation, the Holy Spirit enters inside of us. And as he enters inside of us, he begins to make these changes. He begins to convict us of sin in our life. 
the Holy Spirit's job is to, or one of the many roles the Holy Spirit plays, is to conform us more and more to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we accept the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior and the Spirit enters into us, uh, he begins to make these changes and to convict us. The Christian life has often been defined as uh, a, a long game of tug, and, tug of war because you have the Holy Spirit tugging you one way and yet you still have the flesh that you struggle with tugging you the other way. And these two things live in complete opposition to one another. Um, we see in Romans 8, you don't have to turn there, Romans 8 and verse 28, um, a lot of times... Um, People have asked, well, you know, what is the Lord's plan for my life? And we find in the Word of God that the Lord has an individual plan for each and every one of us. I believe that the Lord has a special plan for each and every one of us individually. But he also has a plan for each and every one of us um, that he desires for each and every one of us. In Romans 8, verse 28, it says, And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. Well, what's his purpose? He answers in the following verse, For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. Oftentimes people say, you know, I, I can't wait till you know, I get to heaven and I, I receive my, my, my new body and I'm just like Christ. And yes, that's a great thought, but we ought to strive to be like Christ today. And we shouldn't wait till that day. But uh, we see the Lord's desire for us is to be conformed to the image of his Son. And that is the role of the Holy Spirit. And yet, we still have the flesh that we struggle with. Um, it has been said that the most miserable place for a Christian to be um, is in the world. Um, and I don't mean just simply dwell, uh, living in the world, but to really dwell in the world, to try and find pleasure in the world. Because as you try and find these earthly pleasures, yet you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, uh, filling you with perhaps guilt. Uh, and I, I have, I've known so many, so many of my Christian friends from camp and and some of them that I used to go to, to brigades, they try and find these comforts, these pleasures in the world, and yet for a while they're miserable. Um, but as I mentioned last time I spoke, if, if we aren't sensitive to the Spirit's leading, then eventually our life will get used to that lifestyle, and we will no longer feel the Spirit's leading. And what a fearful thought that is. But the most miserable place for a Christian to be is in the world. Um, but because the Lord Jesus has equipped us with the Holy Spirit, we are now equipped to overcome sin, and yet our desire is still to sin. So as we consider this morning what it means to deny self, what does it mean for a man to deny himself? Is it simply to say no to sin and to his desire? Some people have defined denying self as self-denial, and I looked up self-denial in Merriam-Webster Dictionary, and they define self-denial as the act of not allowing yourself to have or do something that you want. So it's denying self simply to say, Lord, I'm saved and you know my desire is to sin. But because you said not to, I'm not going to. Perhaps that's an element of it, but I think it is really something so much stronger than that. Uh, Bill McDonald defined it as this, you know, I've kind of been thinking about this ever since I got back from Galilee and you know, you try and put it into words and then you realize Bill McDonald already did it. And uh, he often does it in much better ways than you would do it. Um, but he defines it this way. It means to yield to his control so completely that self has no rights whatsoever. So it's not simply to say, Lord, I want to sin, but because you said not, not to you, I'm not going to. But to deny self 
is to yield to his control so completely. Lord, my desire is to sin, but my desire is also to serve you. And whatever you would have me do today, that's what I want to do. And I don't care what I want. I want what you want. Um, Paul would put it in Galatians uh, 2.20. He says, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. In Philippians 1.21, he would say, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. So we already defined denying self as not simply saying no to sin, not simply saying no to the world, but also to say yes to the Lord. Lord, this is what you would have me do today, and that's what I'm going to do. I'm not going to live for myself. What would you have me do today? So that's what it means to, de to deny self. Uh, but how easy it is for us to place self at the center of our life. Um, a question that is all often asked at work, you know, we, we work five days, and um, really every day we say, okay, you know, happy Monday, we're, we're really one day closer to Friday. We always look forward to Friday. And a question we always ask is, what are your plans for this Friday? And we have to say, oh, well, I'm going to do this. I have this plan for this. Really, my favorite Friday is when I have no plans whatsoever, and I can just do whatever comes up, you know, kind of relax. But how often it is so easy for us to play self. Um, when asked a question like that, what are you going to do this weekend? Oftentimes you say, well, I'm going to do, um, I'm going to relax because that's what I want to do. I'm going to do whatever, you know, will bring me pleasure. And we live in such a way where self is really so uh, much in the center that really there's no room for anything else. Uh, perhaps that's why marriage is so hard is because you're, you're not accounting for one person anymore, but you're accounting for two people. I'm not married, obviously, but uh, I, I've heard stories. Um, <laughs> uh, but we see Christ's desires to be preeminent in our life. Lord, what would you have me to do? Um, that's what it means to um, deny ourselves. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. My life is, 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 is the Lord Jesus' life. Um, so we see here... Not only are we required to deny ourselves, but he tells us to also take up our cross. What does it mean to take up our cross? Uh, we see here that the Lord Jesus turns to the crowd. This is long before he even gets to Jerusalem, and he says, if you really desire to follow me, you have to take up your cross. And you can imagine them saying, well, what does that mean? The Lord Jesus had not yet been crucified. Uh, but the amazing thing, and something that... Um, is brought up oftentimes at prayer meeting is that the Lord Jesus never asks us to do anything that he himself never did. And he never asks us to do anything that we can't do. Um, he never asks us to do anything without first giving us the strength and the ability to do so. Uh, he equips us to do something. Um, I told the story of how um, I was asked to check the bathroom and yet I had no idea what checking the bathroom meant at work. Um, and I still went out and checked the bathroom. Uh, but I, I did it completely wrong. We see the Lord Jesus never asks us to do anything without first granting us the ability and the strength to do so. Uh, what a comforting thought that is. Uh, but does taking up our cross mean that perhaps we should buy a cross necklace and wear it around our neck and carry that wherever we go? I'm not bashing on anyone who does that. And, you know, it's a beautiful thought. But I don't think that's what uh, the Lord is talking about here. On every April 3rd in the Philippines, uh, obviously I'm Filipino, but um, in the Philippines, it is a very uh, strong Catholic region. 
And you have these devout Catholics who every April 3rd, uh, you have a few that will volunteer uh, to actually crucify themselves. And they do this as an act of hopefully getting closer to their Savior or uh, getting some special reward in heaven. So does that mean perhaps we should follow their lead and literally take up our cross? I, I don't think that's what the Lord Jesus is asking us to do. I think taking up the cross means to die to self, means to die to sin and to the world. Um, as we consider the cross this morning, we see that the cross was often used as, a, as the ultimate punishment, uh, the ultimate punishment on certain crimes. And, and I Googled it. You can't believe everything you hear, you read on Google. But I did Google um, the crimes that uh, were worthy of, of people to be crucified. And it says the following crimes were in, were entailed this, would entail this penalty, piracy, highway, highway robbery, assassination, forgery, false testimony, mutiny, high reason, or high treason, uh, rebellion, soldiers that deserted to the enemy, and slaves who denounced their masters were also by death on the cross. Uh, we read in Isaiah that the Lord Jesus was numbered amongst the transgressors. They would place him at the same level as an assassin. They would place him at the same level as a soldier who would uh, denounce to the enemy. He was numbered with the, with the transgressors. But we see that um, the cross was used to punish certain crimes. And as we consider what it means to bear our cross this morning, I think it means to lay down our life on the cross, lay down our flesh as it were, and say, Lord, I'm yours. I was, to, I was uh, at, at Snipe last night, uh, the youth group I help out with at, at Bethel, and they asked me to speak. They, they always seem to ask me to speak the same Sunday that I'm speaking here at Claremont. It just seems to happen that way. But um, my message was on how the Lord doesn't want our money. The Lord doesn't want our possessions. He really just wants your heart. And so often we get caught up in, okay, well, the offering basket's coming around. I've got to put something in, you know. But really, the Lord ultimately just wants our heart. And once he has our heart, we will freely give him our possessions, uh, whatever, the, whatever that might entail. Uh, but to lay down our life on the cross and to die to self. Uh, in 1 Corinthians, as we consider dying to self, uh, 1 Corinthians 6.19, it says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. It breaks my heart to see so many believers, including myself, uh, we often live our life as if it is really our life. And we see here in 1 Corinthians that Paul reminds the believers in Corinth, you were bought at a price. You are not your own. Uh, perhaps um, my, my grandma, she went through this phase where she went out and, and, and bought a car. And uh, my grandma really knows nothing about cars, and the salesman probably thought of, you know, this woman is really probably the easiest sale I'll ever make in my life. And my grandma went alone, and, and she, she bought this, this red car. Um, eventually, Chelsea drove this red car, and yeah. Um, but this car <laughs> was, to say the least, a terrible car. I mean, we spent so much money repairing this car. Um, this salesman took advantage, and he said, I'm going to give this woman this, this terrible car. And I want you to imagine you go out and you buy this car, and it has all these warranties on it. It's promised, you know, um, a thousand miles, a hundred thousand miles, and you know you won't have to make any repairs. And yet you spend so much money making repairs on it in the first few months. Can you imagine 
you'd probably call the, the, the car, car dealership and say, you know, you gave me a terrible car. I want a different car. And oftentimes I think that's really what, what we must look like in the eyes of the Lord. You know, I, I sent my son to die for you, to redeem you, and yet you're, you're wasting your life away. You're, you're living in this way. We, we were bought at a price. And our response to that should be to glorify the Lord um, in all that we do. Uh, so that was what it means to die to self. Um, what does it mean to die to sin? In Romans 6 and verse 1, it says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not, or as King James puts it, God forbid, how shall we who die to sin live any longer in it? Um, to die to the world, uh, we see in Philippians 3, verse 20, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We were bought at a price. And to take up our cross and to deny ourselves is to say, Lord, the life I live is not mine. It's yours. It's to yield to his control, to give him the preeminent place in your heart and say, Lord, what would you have me to do today? I'll do it. Uh, to take up our cross, to follow him. And I'll be honest with you, I, I've been thinking about this and it's very convicting to me. Um, this, is a, this is a point that I've not yet come to where I really deny myself every day and take up my cross and follow him. Uh, but perhaps, hopefully soon, that will take place. Um, to take up the cross would also mean to carry the cross through a path uh, that you never return to. Uh, you can imagine uh, this person carrying the cross. And an illustration Mr. Dixon would always use in the high school classes, uh, you consider the, the, the man, on, on the, the thief on the cross next to the Lord Jesus. That man didn't have any plans for tomorrow. He didn't, have it. he didn't make any dinner plans for that night because he, he, was, he knew his life was going to end. And to take up our cross is to put ourself, our flesh, our, 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 our desires on the cross and say, Lord, my life is yours. I'm never going to return to that there. My life is yours. To carry the cross through a path that you would never return. Will we stumble and, and fall into sin? You bet we will. Um, but the life that I live is not my own. I'm going to strive to glorify the Lord in all that I do. That's what it means to take up our cross and to deny, to deny ourselves. But to take up our cross, we see that the Lord Jesus had to be willing to take up his cross, to take up our cross, and we see that he was. Um, you think of uh, the prayer he prayed in the garden. He says, if there's any way this cup can pass from me, nevertheless, not as I will, but your will be done. And oftentimes, uh, living a life for the Lord will require us to do very painful things. Perhaps it would mean us living a life in a way that is not so highly esteemed in this world. And yet we have to come to a point where it's like, Lord, if there's any way, any way that you can pass this cup for me, nevertheless, not as I will, but your will be done. You have to be willing. And the Lord was willing to take up our cross. And finally, he says, to follow me. What does it mean to follow Christ? I think to follow the Lord Jesus Christ means to associate the life that we live with the life that he lived. Um, uh, this might require us to be rejected by men. Uh, we read this morning, uh, why when I came was there no man? Why when I called was there no answer? He was rejected. He was rejected by his disciples, his, his treasured ones. They would forsake, forsake, forsake him and flee. Uh, to be rejected by men. Perhaps that would mean uh, for us to pay the ultimate price and to lay down our life for the Lord Jesus Christ. We see that 
the Father's will for his son was that he would come and he would lay down his life. And the Lord Jesus Christ was willing to live in complete obedience to the Lord, even if that meant him laying down his life. Uh, perhaps it would mean to, to live a life of, uh, filled with discomfort, as we mentioned earlier. Uh, earlier, uh, in verses prior to this, uh, the Lord Jesus is walking and he turns to, turns to the crowd again. He says, listen, if you really want to follow me, you know, the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but I have nowhere to lay my head. The Lord Jesus truly lived, at least in the world, as a miserable life, going from place to place, being chased by people, being hated everywhere he went. And perhaps that's what it would mean um, to follow Christ, to associate our life with the life that he lived. Um, and once again, I'm not encouraging you to, to go out and sell your house and to sell all of your possessions and donate it to some cause. But to follow Christ just means to be willing to do those things. Uh, I'm going to follow, the, it's to say, I'm going to follow the Lord Jesus Christ no matter what, even if that means him um, calling me to give away my possessions, even if that means him calling me to go to Africa. Uh, I was talking to Ricky, and he says, well, you know, why does everyone always use Africa as an example? You know, <laughs> he takes that rather personally. Um, <laughs> um, but to be willing to go wherever he would call us to, to go, to be willing to give up anything that he would call us to give up, to follow Christ. Uh, in the following verses, the Lord Jesus here um, gives a warning, he gives a promise, and he tells of a reward. And of those things I'd like to talk about next. In, in verse 25, it says, For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. Um, once again, this, this losing our life here is not speaking of our eternal security. The Lord Jesus doesn't say, listen, you're, you're going to deny yourself. You're going to take up your cross and you're going to follow me or otherwise you won't, you won't enter into eternity with me. That's not what he's talking about. The Lord Jesus never forces us to do anything. But what does it mean to lose our life? Uh, we mentioned earlier that in the eyes of the world, it would seem like such a waste to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. I can't tell you of how many missionaries I've spoken to. Uh, you think of Micah Tuttle, a uh, missionary in Peru. When the Lord called him to Peru, uh, his business was at a point where he, he was going to make thousands and thousands of dollars within a couple weeks. Um, I, I met Nate Bramson uh, this summer. And, and he had so many opportunities to do so many great things that this world would consider great. He had all these opportunities, and yet the Lord called him away from that. Um, and so in the eyes of the world, to, 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 to give up your business, to go to Peru, to live in the jungles of Peru and tell people about Jesus, in the eyes of the world, that would seem like a waste. And so many times people would say, listen, save yourself. Um, I remember... Um, I work with, for the McKays, and, you know, we work at a retirement facility, and it was one summer day, and I was, um, we were working the main building, and we always seemed to work on the second or, or, or third floor, and, you know, very rarely it's the first. And when you work on the second or third floor, you, you need to uh, take the elevator up, and this elevator is probably the slowest elevator you could, you could ever imagine. Um, so I was sitting there waiting for the elevator, and um, there was this older gentleman in the elevator, and so I, I rolled the card in and was going up, going up to the third floor with this older gentleman. He turns to me and says, man, it must be nice to be young. 
And I remember thinking to myself, it's, I think it was in July, it was a 100 degree day. I was sweating from pushing this, this cart around and I'm thinking, man, it must be nice to be retired, you know, to, to, not, have to, to not have to work right now. Um, but he turns to me and says, man, it must be nice to be young. And the advice he gave me, he said, you know, I encourage you to make the most of your youth, to, 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 to go out. And, you know, I wish I could go back and, and do more traveling. I wish I could go out and do this and do that. And he was speaking as if, in a way, he had wasted his youth because he didn't go traveling. He didn't go traveling. And if really the best way for me to maximize my time is, as many of you would call me a youngster, um, if the best way for me to maximize my time is to simply go traveling, I think the Lord has so much more um, in store for us than that. Um, but once again, to live a life for the Lord in the eyes of the world uh, would be considered a waste. A waste. And so what does it mean to lose our life? I think it, it means um, to miss out on finding our true purpose, and it, it means to miss out on, our, on the potential reward that comes in following Christ. And I'll explain that in a second. Um, after he gives this warning, he also gives a promise. And this is my favorite part. This is my favorite part of the message. Um, in verse 25, he says, But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Uh, if you were to look up that word to find it, um, you would, it, it would mean exactly what you would think it to mean. Uh, it means um, to find oneself after previous searching. So it would be as if you lost your keys and you're searching and you finally find it. Um, however, in, in Mark and Luke, in the, recording, in the recording of this verse, he says, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. And that word save is actually a very interesting word. It actually means to be made whole. To be made whole. And if we put those two thoughts together, I think we have a tremendous blessing. Not only does the Lord Jesus say, listen, if, if you... If you truly deny yourself, if you truly live a life for me, not only will you find your life, but you will be made whole. There are so many Christians and so many people in the world today who are striving after these worldly possessions, all of these worldly goods. Um, and they're striving after these things, trying to find fulfillment and satisfaction. Um, the thing that I've been struggling lately is, uh, the thing before me is that I want to buy a truck. And... Um, I want to buy a truck, okay? Um, but I keep having to put it off because, you know, things keep coming up and, you know, my desire is to, to get a truck. And my mindset often is, you know, once I get this truck, yeah, I think I'll be good. I'll be good for a while. Um, but really, that's a terrible mindset to have because so many people have that mindset. If, if I can just get that promotion at work, if I can just land this deal at work and make all of this extra money, if I can just move out of this smaller house, move into a bigger house, or buy that truck, whatever the case is, then I'll be good. I'll be satisfied. But there are hundreds and hundreds of examples of people who had all that they could ever want, and yet they were never satisfied. And the crazy thing is I've never met someone who gave up everything to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, all their worldly possessions. I've never met someone who gave everything up and regretted it. But I can tell you of hundreds of people who had everything possible, and yet on their deathbed they look back and say, I wish I did so much more for the Lord. Oh, the years of sinning wasted, could I but recall them now. In the eyes of eternity, our riches, our possessions are, are worthless. 
And so he promises to, um, to make us whole and to help us find our purpose. Well, what is our purpose? Um, let's see. There it is. Um, so we also, we mentioned earlier that none of these possessions will satisfy us. Um, but in John 17, through this is the Lord Jesus praying, and he says, and this is eternal life, that they might know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And the word for know is actually, it actually means to understand completely. And for some odd reason, the Lord knows every terrible thing I've ever done, every terrible thing that I am about to do, and yet he would still desire to make himself known to me. And so you ask, well, I have all these possessions. They're not satisfying me. What will satisfy me? The only thing that will satisfy you is to have a personal and deep relationship with the God that created you. And I don't mean not only as your Savior. Praise the Lord that the Lord saves our soul. But to know him so much more intimately than that will bring us, is the only thing that will bring us satisfaction. I found this quote by a man named Richard Chenevix Trench. I have no idea who he is, but I like what he said. He says, none but Christ can satisfy the longings of an immortal soul, that as the heart was made for him, so, so he only can fill it. None but Christ can satisfy the longings of an immortal soul. And if you're here this morning and you're striving for all of this materials, you're striving for all of this worldly wealth, and yet you're not satisfied, perhaps we need to take a step back and really reassess in our life what matters because we'll spend years and years investing ourselves in this world, and this world will only make us hungry, hungrier and thirstier. Uh, you think of someone like Robin Williams, a man who had everything. I mean, he, he was hilarious. Everyone who worked with him absolutely loved the guy. He had the money, he had the house, and yet, sadly, years ago, he kills himself. Why? Because in his mind, there was nothing Nothing in his life that was worth living for. And yet he had everything. So we also ought to take that to heart. Oh, the years of sinning wasted. So the only thing that will grant us true satisfaction is being in a place where we say, Lord, all that I am is yours. All that I do is for your glory. And the Lord promises to, to make us whole. You're searching for satisfaction? Well, you'll find it by giving everything up for him. He tells of a reward in verse 27. Verse 27 says, For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he will reward each according to his works. You know, God, God is a, a great record keeper. In fact, he's, he's too good of a record keeper. In Revelation, we read that all, all the sins that we've committed is written down in a book. But we see here that the Lord also documents every good thing that we do for him. And he plans to reward, reward each and every one of us accordingly. Um, if you would, this will be the final portion we turn to, but turn to Matthew 19. Now, I've only had you turn to two different portions of Scripture. You ought to be proud. But here in Matthew 19, verse 27, once again, we're thinking about the reward. And here the Lord Jesus is having a conversation with his disciples and we see good old Peter, he's always the one to, to jump the gun and ask a question. But in verse 27 of Matthew 19, he says, Then Peter answered and, and said to him, See, we have left all and followed you. Therefore, what shall we have? And in verse 28, 
uh, the Lord makes a special promise to the disciples, but in verse 29, he makes a promise to everyone who would follow their steps and leave all to follow him. In verse 29, it says, And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or fathers or mothers or wife or children or lands for my name's sake shall receive a hundredfold and, and inherit eternal life. But there are many, uh, but many who are first will be last and the last first. The Lord promises that everything we lose in this life, for his name's sake, he will reward us a hundred times more than those things are worth. A hundred times more. Um, I'm not in investments. I'm not smart enough for that. But um, I'm sure if, if there was a hundred percent guarantee that whatever you invested would be times, would be multiplied by a hundred, you'd have thousands and thousands of millionaires jumping the gun and putting every single penny that they have towards that investment. And we see here that that investment is before us this morning. It's 100% guaranteed that the Lord will multiply everything we give up for his name by 100. That's a fantastic investment, if you ask me. The Lord promises to reward us, and we ought to keep that um, in, in our sights. It says, many, many who are first will be last. I'm afraid that I'm part of that many right now. Oftentimes, we find ourselves trying to be first in this life. And he promises, he says, listen, you can be first in this short life you live here, but you're going to be last for all of eternity in the kingdom of heaven. And so the Lord promises to reward us. So by taking up our cross, by denying ourselves, and by following the Lord Jesus Christ, not only does he promise us uh, to find pure satisfaction in our life, not only does he promise us to make us whole, but he promises to reward us for everything we ever lose for his name. May that urge us on. Um, we sang, see, here it is. Uh, we sang just recently, it was alone that Jesus cast my sin so far away. Alone he saved my sinful soul from that dread judgment day. Alone with peace and nameless joy he all my heart doth fill. And now I seek to do my Father's will. May that be our desire this morning, to set every worthless thing we have in this life aside and to follow him. He promises a reward and he promises satisfaction, so may we keep that in mind. Let's pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, we would just thank you for your word. We thank you for your son, Father, and how he was willing to go forward, knowing all things that would come upon him, yet he would go forward to suffer and die in our place. He would bear so much for us on that cross, and yet he would still go forward. Father, when we consider that great love, that great dedication he had to living in obedience to you. Father, may that be our desire as well. Father, he's given, he gave, he gave his life for, for me. What have I given for him? Father, may we ask ourselves that. Father, may we live in light of eternity each and every day. Father, we don't want to stand before you empty-handed. We don't want to stand before you with our hearts full of regret. And so, Father, we would just ask that you would help us to live a life for you. Father, help us to look through the eyes of eternity and not in the short life that we have here. Father, our time truly is limited. 
Our time truly is precious. May we invest it in things that actually matter. And so, Father, we just thank you for, for your word, and we just commit this rest of the day to you. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen.